0: I do remember like when we were writing it, the only request Paul had uh, for doing the show was that after that episode, that Lisa remain a vegetarian, that we don't just throw it away the next episode. And to this day, we're up to like season 33 and she's still a vegetarian. from
1: liverpool england the significance is that the beatles have held this title for eight years hello i'm jack and you're listening to the here there and everywhere podcast an interview show about the beatles influence in the past present and future across the universe and across generations welcome back to here there and everywhere it's my pleasure to welcome onto the show mike scully mike is a television writer and producer who is known for his work as executive producer and showrunner of The Simpsons. Mike's won three Primetime Emmy Awards for his work on the show and also co-wrote The Simpsons movie. He's worked on shows like Everybody Loves Raymond and Parks and Rec. Mike also co-developed a new show, Duncanville, with his wife, Julie, and Amy Poehler. Mike's work in these shows is a staple in American pop culture, just like how The Beatles are a staple in music history. Thank you for listening, be sure to subscribe if you're not already, and here's the podcast. Mike, thank you so much for coming on. It's it's an honor to talk to you.
0: My pleasure. My pleasure. And I got to say, uh, Jack Lawless, you got a real rock and roll name there. So I like ah, that. Thank you. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Mike, can you walk us through how you grew up and how you got involved with writing?
0: Oh, wow. Uh, yeah, well, growing up, I grew up uh, in the 60s. I was born in 1956. Uh, so, you know, TV was a big part of my childhood. <laughs> Endless hours in front of the TV. Uh, you know, watching, you know, all kinds of, you know, comedies that had a huge impact on me, like the Dick Van Dyke show and uh, I Love Lucy and and Mary Tyler Moore, like going right into the seventies. But, you know, also combined with that, you know, with the explosion of, you know, of, uh, you know, rock in the sixties, there was also music shows. They kept trying to figure out in TV how to get music to work uh, on TV shows. So I, watched you know i got to see a lot of you know rock bands on tv was kind of the first place you would get to see them whether it was you know obviously like ed sullivan but there were shows like uh there was a show named hullabaloo and shindig and like these kind of uh shows with you know uh, girls dancing in go-go cages (laughs) and uh and the bands would come out it was kind of like american bandstand but more you know uh rock oriented so that those two things kind of combined, the, the love of TV comedy and the love of music kind of overlapped for me.
1: And what was the first time you heard the Beatles?
0: Uh, I first uh, heard, my first memory of them is like, like many uh, people my age was the Ed Sullivan show that first time in uh, in 1964. I was like eight years old and uh, my family was all in front of the TV and uh, I'll never forget my dad. My dad just hated them the second he saw them, <laughs> as, soon as, as soon as they were on camera. Uh, I'll, I'll never forget. It's just one of those childhood memories that's so you know, uh, embedded in my head. It, it's just my dad, like they started singing and the crowd was screaming and my dad's like, Jesus Christ, get a load of these fucking assholes. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, um, and that was my first time seeing the Beatles, and I think my dad hating it uh, just made it like, made me enjoy it even more. Uh, oh, was sure. to see how much it bugged him. My mother, on the other hand, my mom was was super cool, and like she got it right away. You know, I, she she loved them. She loved the suits. She loved the harmonies. You know, like she got the excitement. The only thing she would say is she was, I don't like it when they scream. <laughs> but <laughs> but uh, she was, she was, she was into it right away. And she, I think she loved seeing how much I loved it.
1: And what was it about them that captivated you?
0: Oh man. It's, uh, it, we had, first of all, we, you know, had never seen anything like that before. Uh, that sound, I mean, you know, I, I didn't grow up. I mean, Elvis was obviously around in the fifties and stuff, but as you know, I was kind of too young to appreciate that. And, you know, with the Beatles, like I said, I was eight years old, you know, maybe like, you know, a, you know, a little on the close side of too young, but I still like felt something like, it just felt so cool and exciting. And I love, the sound, and I don't know, it felt like it was ours, you know, like, oh, this is being done for my entertainment. uh, And and me and my friends, this is strictly for us to enjoy. And, um, you know, it was a sound unlike anything we had ever heard come out of our TVs before.
1: Yeah, you know, I think there's something special about the Beatles where like each generation that comes along can kind of identify with them and, and kind of claim them as their own.
0: Yeah, there's also there was something I'm thinking back to that, even like, I'll go back and just watch old clips of them playing all the time. And there's something about it that like that just makes you feel good. I think part of it is they always looked like uh, when they were playing live, they looked like they were having a great time. They smiled, um, you know, uh, and they looked like they were having fun. Mm -hmm. And that came through the screen. Uh, To me, and to this day, I will judge bands like if a band is on stage and they look kind of dour or or like they're doing me a favor by being there, I'm immediately like, I'm out. Right. (laughs) Yeah, a lot of them look like they they
1: just don't want to be there. Yes, exactly. (laughs) Huge difference between now and then.
0: Yeah, so just the whole sense of fun that surrounded the Beatles. And then also at that time, once they were on, at I mean, they were doing a lot of press. So we were seeing them on TV a lot doing press conferences, like getting off the plane at at JFK. But in the press conferences, they were so funny uh, and like very quick-witted. And like the, the jokes were like really good. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and it was amazing kind of across the board, all four of them were capable of being funny in their own way, Um, and which just kind of blew me away. I even now I have to like think back, and I have to remind myself they were kids, you know. (laughs) Right.
1: Yeah. I think George Harrison was like twenty years old when when they landed in America.
0: Yeah, yeah. That's it's nuts, and to be besieged, you know, by press and fans and a whole country, you know, basically, you know, and. They just held their own with the press. They were likable and funny and charming and glib. Uh, they were kind of like, you know, they were the whole package. <laughs> and I, I, I just fell 100% for it.
1: <laughs> and, and the press didn't know what hit them either. They were kind of confused at like the humor that they were getting back from the Beatles too, which was, I thought was great. I love that kind of stuff.
0: Yeah, I think a lot of the press. When I see some of those, some of the guys, that they look like they were like the age of my dad. You know, like they were like kind of ready to hate them or ready for them to be stupid or or inarticulate. And I think they caught, you know, they caught them off guard by being so sharp and funny.
1: For sure, absolutely, I, I completely agree. Did they influence your life in any way aside from just liking their music?
0: Oh God, yeah. I mean as I, as I, you know, got older, like, like definitely like, you know, clothes and hair and like, that was the beginning of my, you know, haircut fights with my father was the Beatles. <laughs> like, yeah. You, know, you know, all my friends, we, we all just wanted to grow our hair. And, uh, but I would say, and I, you know, I had posters up of them. I had a great black and white one, uh, outside Abbey road. And I remember one that was like a blow up of a life magazine cover um uh in my room and but also seeing the movie hard days night the first time that definitely like there was an intersect for me of music and comedy coming together uh in one place of like oh wow this can be funny in addition to being great music it's this they can actually like tell a story in a movie and i'm laughing out loud at it um, you know, and then obviously Hard Day's Night would go on to in- influence lots of movies and, and eventually, you know, 20 or 15 years later, kind of, you know, begat MTV, uh, yeah. you know, is really an offshoot of Hard Day's Night and let's see, Hard Day's Night was 65. And then in like 1966 or 67, we had, uh, the Monkees on TV where right. which was you know, very definitely influenced you know, by you know some TV executives you know said hey those beatles seem to be hot we should do something like that you know uh, oh yeah i think and they
1: call them the, the prefab 4
0: exactly yeah yeah that actually wound up being my first live concert what in 1967 I saw the monkeys (laughs) live. Uh, Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, so that was like the closest (laughs) for me at that time of seeing the Beatles.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Have you ever seen the Beatles live? Uh,
0: No, I never saw the Beatles play live. Uh, I've seen uh, Paul and Ringo play. I think I I saw George with somebody. Uh, He he, like sat in on something with somebody. uh, But... Uh, you know, yeah, Paul, I've seen a couple of times and, and Ringo uh, over the years uh, doing his uh, the All-Star band shows. Um, but no, no, never, you know, by the time they broke up, I was like 14, I think, when they split up. That's the other thing that always amazes me is how much they packed into like a, a really like short span of time, like six, six, seven years, the amount of great music you know, and the, you know, Hard Day's Night and Help and, uh, and you know, even, you know, the movie <laughs> you know, Let It Be, which I was glad to see is kind of like, is rewritten in my head now, thanks to the Get Back documentary, because I remember going to see that. They were kind of selling it to kids. Like I, like I said, I was 13 or four, 13, I think, and they were kind of selling it just like Hard Day's Night or Help. Like the ads were like, those wacky mop tops are at it again. Because <laughs> <You know? laughs> they, they knew we would all go, you know. Right. And then you, you get in there and it's it's just like the most depressing movie. Right. Uh, yeah. yeah, it's like NyQuil. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it's like, why aren't they running around in fast motion and and, <laughs> and, and, and yelling, hey mister, give us our ball back. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Being such a huge Beatles fan, what was it like working on The Simpsons, where there are just loads of Beatles references throughout the entire show? Yeah. And you actually produced an episode where Paul McCartney was a guest. Did you get to meet him?
0: Uh, I did not get to meet him. Actually, the the guy who was running the show at the time, his name is David Merkin, and he, uh, he was the one who actually hired me for The Simpsons. Uh, he, Dave, is like a you know, super Beatles fan. And he got to go to Paul's house, I believe in Scotland, uh, and record Paul at, at Paul's home studio. <laughs> oh, so
1: that's where that happened. Okay.
0: Yeah. You should actually, you should have Dave on the show sometime. I don't want to tell his stories, you know, but he's got, For some, good, sure, yeah. he's got some great ones. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh, that's cool. I've always imagined Paul actually being on top of the Quickie Mart in that garden. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 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 did not know yeah. that
0: and yeah and that's where the episode was um i do remember like when we were writing it the the one uh the only request paul had uh for doing the show uh because we we pay like union scale to all the guests they all make the same uh money you get like whatever the union scale is, plus a, you know, a t-shirt with the Simpsons on it. And that's, that's your payment. So nobody does it for the money, but his one request was that after that episode, that Lisa remain a vegetarian. Oh, wow. Uh, That we don't just throw it away the next episode. And so to this day, I mean, that was season five or six. And to this day, we're up to like season 33 and she's still a vegetarian.
1: (laughs) Oh, that's so cool.
0: Yeah, <laughs> that's awesome.
1: <laughs> Did you work with other Beatles fans? Because aside from that episode with Paul, George and Ringo made appearances on the Simpsons as well, and there were countless homages to the Beatles too.
0: Yeah, uh, George and Ringo were on the show before I I got there. I got there near the end of season 4, beginning of season 5. But yeah, there's a lot of Beatles fans, most of the writing staff. I mean, you know, it's it's pretty hard to, you know, to find somebody you know, particularly, you know, uh, that's not a Beatles fan. I mean, everybody that was on the staff when the show started, like, you know, George Meyer and Al Jean and Mike Reese and Conan, uh, everybody's, you know, Beatles fan. So, uh, uh, you know, we're always, you know, happy to do a, a reference and the references stand the test of time, too. Yeah, they, they really do. Yeah. It's not one of those kind of pop culture jokes where you're worried that a year later people won't know who you're talking about yeah, yeah. <laughs> so
1: speaking about longevity what do you think it is about the beatles that allows them to stand the test of time for so long
0: oh man i think it because it was so much more than than just like a, a rock group i mean it really was um like a a movement or a, a, a like i said it was that thing that was that was ours it belonged to 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 to, to my generation and then Instead of like keeping it for ourselves, you know, like as we got older, we were passing it down to, you know, to our you know either younger brothers and sisters, or and then eventually you're passing it down to your kids, um, and you know, and you know, I think the bottom line of it is the songs are so great. I mean, if the songs weren't great, regardless of how you know funny they were or, or you know all that stuff if the songs didn't stand the test of time i don't think they would you know last the way they have but the songs Mm -hmm. are amazing you know Um, i never feel like i'm like listening to an oldie when i'm listening to the beatles i just feel like i'm listening to rock music (laughs) Uh, yeah it's so contemporary yeah yeah and my wife you know um plays the piano uh julie and she she's got this you know beatles songbook with all the music and then she was like blown away. She was, these songs are so complicated musically. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, even though they, they make them sound simple, uh, but they're, you know, a lot of them are very intricate and complicated uh, in their arrangements. And once again, they were doing this all in their 20s. Blows me away yeah and, we, and with no formal musical training
1: <laughs> i know i you know i always compare myself to the beatles because i'm i just turned 25 and i always think like on my birthday i'm like all right when when john was 25 you know he was he already made rubber soul he was he already did revolver he already did all this stuff and like, <laughs> <laughs> what am i doing <laughs> but, and then even george i think george was 25 in the get back documentary which is insane
0: yeah, it really is. Because, yeah, same thing. I, I think back to me, you know, in my 20s, and <laughs> like, you know, what I was doing with my life. And, uh, you know, it's crazy of how much, by the time of the Get Back documentary, how much they had already accomplished. Uh, uh, you know, and they hadn't, you know, imploded or, like, self-destructed. or And I, and I can't imagine the pressure cooker they lived in uh you know oh my gosh i mean they're kind of it it prepared you know somewhat i think other bands to come for what happens when you get famous but they probably had nothing to compare it to maybe except elvis i guess you know that kind of mania you
1: know yeah i think elvis was like the only huge sensation before the beatles and then maybe before elvis it was like the the presidents or something. I, I don't know who was big in that kind of sense.
0: Yeah. Well, yeah, Lincoln used to get tons of screaming girls. I remember that. Right. Oh, sure. yeah, yeah, yeah. They would, he'd do that Gettysburg address the girls would go nuts. You know? <laughs>
1: <laughs> I can imagine now.
0: <laughs> it's funny. I'm just, as I'm talking to you, I'm suddenly remembering, I have actually seen Paul a couple of times in person, not playing. Um, and one time was in a restaurant and in the lobby of a restaurant in LA, this was just a few years ago, it was, and it was a, it was like lunchtime and I was supposed to meet a friend there and the the lobby was very crowded around the, uh, where the host is. And I turned and like literally six inches from my face, there's this face that's like so recognizable. I'm like, who's that? And then, and then he goes. And he, he was, we were looking right into each other's eyes because there was nowhere else to really look. And he just was like, oh, hey, man, how's it going? Uh, wow. <laughs> and I think he must have seen the crazed look in my eye of realizing that's Paul McCartney because I'm sure he's used to that. And I think he's very good at, I think he knows how to kind of disarm people and, and try to calm them down, yeah. right. <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, and Yeah. Yeah. And then, and then he was, you know, gone, you know, off to, to have lunch himself. So that was fine. And then once a few years ago, 2015, uh, I went to see a taping at SNL, uh, uh, Saturday night live. And then after the show, they have an after party. Um, and, uh, Amy Poehler, who I've worked with a few times, was co-hosting the show and was nice enough to get my wife and I into the show and the party. Paul, Bruce Springsteen was the musical guest on the show, but Paul joined him at the end and they sang Santa Claus is coming to town.
1: So so then
0: at the party afterward, it was crazy. There was one table of people and I bumped into a couple of writer friends of mine who happened to be there. And we could hardly look at this one table because at the table was uh, Paul, uh, Springsteen, Steve Van Zandt, Steven Spielberg. What? Um, yeah, Lauren, Michael. It was like so much power at one table. <laughs> we're like, we're, we're, all of us like, we can't even look over there. <laughs> wow.
1: <laughs> I wonder what their conversation must have been like at that table. What were they talking about?
0: Oh, God. You know, man. Uh, they're probably just, you know, they probably talk about the same shit. Everybody does. How long do I have to stay at this party? <laughs> <laughs>
1: Have you seen the Get Back documentary? Uh
0: oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. That was a great week for me. That Thanksgiving week was because there was a there was a Springsteen release of a concert he did in 1979 at Madison Square Garden uh which which is incredible and then like a couple days later Get Back started playing. So that week I was just like glued into the TV. <laughs> uh but yeah, a, the Get Back thing was It was just so good. And like I said, it completely rewrote my memory of sitting in the theater watching Let It Be the first time around. It was so much fun to see them having fun together, making each other laugh. Um, One of my favorite moments is when Paul and John, they kind of sing this version of the two of us with their teeth clenched. And they're just kind right, of singing. Yeah, yeah. Through it. <laughs> and, but they don't just do it for like one verse. They do the entire song. That way. <laughs> and you know, once again, the amount of pressure they were under, you know, you learned at the beginning of the movie that they've, they basically got two and a half weeks to write and record these songs and come up with a concept for a TV special, mm-hmm. uh, which is just insane. Uh, and the fact that they were still able to have that much fun with each other i mean granted yes the moments of tension are there but you know i think any band would probably tell you yeah that shit happens you know like you get frustrated or or you have different differences of opinion about a certain song and um, but to watch yeah you know, that that moment i mean i think the the moment that kind of got everybody where they happened to have that overhead camera and paul is like kind of noodling around with and you start to recognize it's the it's the riff of get back you know, you start yeah. to hear him playing it and he's just kind of like noodling around and i guess you know, they said he, he was just waiting for john because john was late um and then like he's starting it and you're and, like you're sitting there going don't stop man don't give up on this you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah you want to be
1: there telling him what the lyrics should should really be
0: oh my god and just to see like they're just they're just throwing ideas around and changing words you know randomly and trying out different things and uh you know uh you know nothing's kind of set in stone and i love when john was given uh george the advice on um uh oh for something because george couldn't was trying to write the lyrics to something and he had like something in the way she moves attracts me like and he couldn't figure out and john's like just say anything. Say like attracts me like a pomegranate or attracts me like yeah. a something else. Yeah. Uh, he's like, just keep going. Don't stop yourself and get hung up on the words. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Man, it was just so incredible seeing the bond they all had and the kind of magic that went on behind the scenes.
0: Oh yeah. Yeah. As a matter of fact, well, the name, the name of your podcast, I-, I read recently that Paul had written here, there and everywhere once again, while waiting for John for something. <laughs> he was no, here. oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. I think Apparently I read that. He used. was like at John's house or like in his backyard, and like John was late. So, and then so Paul writes here, there, and everywhere while he's waiting. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's incredible. It's truly incredible.
0: <laughs> yeah. So it was fun to see like what they each brought individually, but it was also fun to see them when they clicked as a group. Uh, to see the pieces come together, uh, and to see them get excited and, and then, the, and they were like, I still, they, I mean, they were all funny. I mean, you know, it was weird at that stage because they were only six years past like the Ed Sullivan show, but like Paul had the beard and you know, the, their looks had oh, yeah. all changed so much because I think yeah. they had lived, you know, they had lived, you know, 25 years in six years, <laughs> I think, uh. But also, just like the jokes that got thrown around, Ringo just floors me because he's Ringo has a great comedy delivery. He's very dry, very deadpan. <laughs>
1: yeah, I mean, their humor is incredible. When they're sitting there joking around, I, I feel like I'm in the room and they're my friends because that's the way my friends do joke around. And I feel like their humor is very contemporary, too. I mean, I don't know if jokes get lost in translation uh, through different generations uh but I feel like a lot of their jokes and their their humor is very contemporary, and it makes me laugh today
0: oh totally, totally and I've talked to you know some of my friends you who know, who also watched it, and you know just what you learn kinda you know, about the creative process from watching these four guys create these classic songs and you know, the work that went into it, the trial and error, the stuff they started but didn't finish and that kind of stuff that, you know, that everyone goes through if you're trying to do anything creative. Um, And then the the stuff they would do just to kind of release the tension or to clear their heads, just singing like old, like 50s, you know, songs and, and songs they grew up with and just to kind of have fun. And I think you know, get the cobwebs out of their head before they moved on to the next thing um, or or shake off whatever it was they were working on. But it was really kind of fascinating. And to hear that moment in the very beginning, like it might be in the first half hour when they're talking about the idea for the TV special. And one of the producers or the director keeps pitching this, a uh, very exotic torchlit concert in <laughs> Egypt by the pyramids or something. He's like doing this is a very elaborate thing. <laughs> and and Paul just casually says that it should be something like where we're doing something we shouldn't be doing. Like we should be, be somewhere we're not supposed to be. And, he goes and, and like maybe like you know where and, and I think he might even say like yeah you know, like where the cops could like throw us out or or he's just kicking around ideas and you know we're watching it. You know, all these years later, going, holy shit, that's going to be the rooftop concert. That's yeah, it. I know. Uh, and and they're all just like pitching ideas of like, I don't know, maybe it could be this, maybe it could be that. And you know, anytime you're doing anything creative, like if we're writing, you know, TV, that's so much of the process is kind of, I don't know, maybe it could be Bart does this, <laughs> you know, right?
1: So.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and then you can kind of see if anything clicks and it's funny how quickly they gloss over paul's idea uh at that time uh and i don't even know if at the end of it when they come up with the idea of just going up on the roof i don't i'm not even sure that paul remembered that he had said that thing a couple weeks earlier about going somewhere they shouldn't go or you know, you know right. being somewhere they shouldn't be i was wondering like like, cause he never said like, yeah, that's what I was talking about a couple of weeks ago <laughs> or just, <laughs> uh, I think it, it might've just kind of like, you know, it, it made it, it may have, he may have just thrown out something that seems like a funny idea to him at the time. Um, and it's another, a great thing that documentary does is it makes you, you know, like in any like movie or TV show, you're always looking for like, what are the stakes of this story? like like Mm -hmm. like if the person doesn't do this what's going to happen to you know so and so or what'll happen to them if they don't accomplish this and get back even though everyone knows the rooftop concert happened and it's on film and we've seen it right there you get so caught up watching the movie there were periods like where they were like kind of abandoning different ideas like it's like, I don't know if this concert's going to happen. <laughs> it's yeah. like, then I have to remind myself, no, no, it does. You've seen it. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah, it's a very back to the future part two kind of feeling where you're yeah. like watching it from backstage and you know what's going to happen because it just happened. Yeah. <laughs> you don't want to mess anything. I was sitting there like holding my breath because I didn't want to mess anything, like the butterfly effect or something.
0: Yes, oh, totally. It's, a, it's an amazing, if people, if anybody hasn't seen it by now, I know some people I've told like, all right, it's eight hours long, and I can see their eyes just glazing over. But <laughs> it's so worth it, you know. You can break it up, and I've told people like, watch an hour a night, or watch two hours, and you know, you right. don't have to. There's no obligation to complete it, you know, in one day. Right. right. <laughs> but I do think it's better watched as close together as possible, you know, because you kind of fo- you're following their little story along you know, while they're trying to, you know, put this album together. It's also one thing too that reminded me a lot of TV, like a lot of times, like we're working on a story and we just like, we just kind of lose enthusiasm for the story and we'll throw it out and we won't think about it for a few years. We'll just like, forget about it and we do other things. And, and then eventually you come around like, Hey, remember like someday when you're coming up with nothing and you're running out of time, and you're like, what was that thing we had a couple of years ago? And, you know, and there are spots in there where they're like worried that they're not coming up with enough songs. And Paul and John start digging through their old songbooks. Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it's like, oh shit, the Beatles did it too.
1: <laughs> so their creative process was was really similar to, to your creative process as well?
0: I, I think it's... A lot of people's, at least, I i mean, I can only speak to my experience, but working in, I've been in TV now for over 30 years, and you, you kind of like file away a lot of ideas, you know, that you don't, or, you know, and then sometimes dig them out later or uh, stuff like that, or for whatever reason, it sticks in the back of your head. Or I used to jot notes down on like little post-its and stick them in things or you'd have a desk drawer just full of these post-its and then try it with like one word on it and you try to remember what did that mean <laughs> you know and now you know you, you keep files like on your computers and uh you know of you know ideas like that just random stray thoughts that you don't know what to do with at the time but feels like it could be something someday right there's a famous one on the board That was on the board in the simpsons writers room for oh my god like 20 years it was a white index card uh tacked to the board and the card was up there so many years it actually yellowed it turned yellow from the sun hitting it and it just said fried cake on it and (laughs) like as and we felt it was important enough to put on the board, so we never forgot it. And then over the years, like what's what's fried? People would come into the room and they, what's fried cake? Like, we don't remember, <laughs> <laughs> but it's really important, and it'll come back to us someday.
1: <laughs> oh, that's awesome.
0: <laughs> oh, and, and speaking of hard days, night, and the and the Simpsons, and kind of that overlap of uh, you know comedy and music. It, there's an episode of The Simpsons, uh, I believe it's called The Old Man and the Sea Student. Um, it was actually written by Julie Thacker, my wife. And there's a part in it, it's, uh, we wanted to do a parody of Hard Day's Night in the middle of the show, that scene where the Beatles have been trapped in the TV studio all day rehearsing and trying to find Paul's grandfather and stuff like that. And then they finally kind of break out of the studio and they they just take off to go have some fun together. And so they kind of burst out of the studio door and Can't Buy Me Love is playing and you see them kind of running through a park. And there's like a lot of the video kind of stuff that that became in videos on MTV. um, But anyway, so we wanted to kind of capture that. They're like jumping in the air in slow motion. And in our story on The Simpsons, Grandpa is feeling trapped at the retirement castle, so he and all his like elderly friends bust out of the place. And we, the same spot, we <laughs> we start with "Can't Buy Me Love." Unfortunately, we couldn't afford the master recording of "Can't Buy Me Love" because <laughs> uh, you know master recordings of the Beatles are you know very expensive to license. Uh, but because uh, you know Paul McCartney is a fan of this band NRBQ, who I happen to be friends with. It's the new rhythm and blues quartet. Uh, we got permission to have NRBQ record a version of Can't Buy Me Love. And that's what appears in the episode of The Simpsons. And And the guys in NRBQ were great. They even recorded, they were explaining to me the guitar solo, like from the Beatles original recording, recording you hear like a little echo on the guitar, like, like in the distance, there's this kind of now, 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 and you hear back. and they said what that was in the original recording was, I guess they had recorded over the tape something like so many times that there was like part of an old recording still there. Or this is how the musicians were explaining it to me. And, wow. and that it, it gave this kind of cool little like distant echo effect that the Beatles, you know, were so left in. So when NRBQ recorded, they tried to copy that sound to get, it, to get it in there. So, you know, we were supposed to make sure that it didn't sound like the Beatles, so people weren't mistaking it for the master. But, you know, you can tell that it's not them, but the guys did a great job of covering it for us. Uh, and at the end of the show, in the credits, we kind of copied the Hard Day's Night album cover with pictures of Homer, Marge, Bart, and Lisa uh, <laughs> on there, and then we, um, you know, reprised or reprised whatever the p- correct pronunciation is the song over our closing credits. Uh, so anyway, that, yeah, that was a, a way that we we definitely used the Beatles on The Simpsons.
1: It's so cool, and I think that was that album called I, um, like a uh, Bart's Day Night. I think it was it said. Oh yes,
0: one. you're right. I forgot that. Yeah, we yeah we did put a title on it, a, bar, a Bart's Day Night. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh, that that's awesome. Yeah, I remember watching that. I think I must have been watching a rerun of that episode when I was younger because they had they every must have been like 2010 or 2012 where they showed every Simpsons episode in order on oh, yeah. the Channel Fox, yeah. and I was watching that, and uh, that was when I was starting to get into the Beatles, and I remember. Hearing Can't Buy Me Love, but I, I realized it wasn't by the Beatles. Um, but I was like, this you know, this version's actually pretty good. I did not know NRBQ back then. But after hearing your story, I'm like, oh, this all comes full circle. That's so cool.
0: Yeah, yeah. No, they, they did a, a really cool job. I mean, there's versions of it on YouTube uh, uh, that I've seen. But the for some reason, the audio is sped up. Uh, whoever hmm. put the clip up, the, the audio is sped up. So the band sounds a little weird. Uh, the recording, because I'm listening to it. This is going too fast. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, but yeah, now, like on Disney Plus, you can see all the episodes. Uh, uh, so, you know, it's you get the, uh, the full version. That marathon, god that it reminded me when you said that we didn't know what was going to happen when that marathon aired. I think it was to launch the FXX channel they were launching Mm -hmm. the channel and they wanted to do something big to promote it. And they came up with this idea of a Simpsons marathon, like every episode in order for like 12 days straight, 24 hours a day. And we were, we were very nervous about it. We're like, Oh man, there's like, yeah, because of, you know, the online, we thought, Oh man, they're going to start hammering us and telling us like when we should have canceled the show. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But (laughs) Surprisingly it got kind of this like outpouring of love i was hearing on twitter from like dads who were like at, like in their late 30s maybe who were watching at the marathon with their like 8 year old kids because they had remembered watching these episodes when they were kids and now they were watching them with their kids or something. So oh, it's it was so cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was, it was pretty cool. It was kind of this, like, for, you know, almost two weeks straight, people were kind of reliving their childhoods, you know, from growing up on the show. So it was pretty cool.
1: Yeah, that was a good time. I remember it was always on TV. So I actually introduced, that was when I introduced my little brother to The Simpsons. He, he hadn't seen them before that. He was probably, like, uh, 10 years old around then. So... Um, he, he loved it after that he was hooked.
0: Oh, wow. Yeah, no, it was, it was fun for us. Like I said, it was kind of this two week, like love fest with the fans. And then they went right back to telling us when we should have canceled the show. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and now it's going to outlive all of us. So. <laughs>
1: yeah. Yeah. <laughs> what season is it on now? Like 30
0: something? 33. 33. Yeah. Wow. I know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's- We used to actually talk all the time in the room about like doing a final episode. We started talking like around season six, we started like saying, Hey, we should start thinking about a finale that like in the next year or so we're going to need a final episode. Because at that time, if, if your show ran seven seasons, that was considered a really good run, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, And so we, you know, we would try to think of certain ideas like, well, what would be a good way to wrap it up? And then we wound up doing, you know, season seven and then eight and nine. And you know, and we would still occasionally, don't forget, be thinking about a finale. You know, we got to we got to come up with something. And then we started getting close. And then we were like season 10. And and then it's like, all right, we got to get serious about a final episode. <laughs> you know, uh, and uh and, and at one point we were like really and, and I remember at one point, actually even even like talking to Matt granning, we were saying, Yeah, yeah, we gotta we gotta wrap this thing up. Uh and then Fox wanted two more years, and we thought, all right, we'll go to season twelve, but that's absolutely it. <laughs> <laughs> and now here we are, season thirty-three, and there's no talk <laughs> at all of a finale anymore. <laughs> right. <laughs>
1: Maybe that's what that index card on, on your board meant. The that yelled- <laughs> Maybe, that's what- <laughs> Maybe that's what that was about. <laughs> that
0: would be great if that wound if somehow that wound up in the final episode it would be awesome.
1: <laughs> do you have a favorite Beatles album and do you have a favorite Beatle?
0: Oh man. I mean I love it all for different reasons. I mean, you know, just you know, the the excitement you know, that came with, you know, you know, meet the Beatles. Um, I mean, you just couldn't beat it. it, it, what was so exciting is like everybody was buying these albums, you know, the day they came out, you know, so you were playing it at your house and you'd go over your friend's house and they were playing it. Uh, But um, it was fun that, you know, as I was getting older, the albums were getting... Kind of were evolving and the, the getting more complicated the musical arrangements they were exploring different styles um and i love the fact that they i mean they to me evolved the way some bands might over or you know over a 30 year you know span they did it in six years uh so like you know every album there was just something new to discover if i had to pick one oh man i mean possibly um god possibly Revolver. Uh, oh, Revolver. Okay. Yeah. It, it it varies at different times. There's just certain things about each album I love. And you know, re-listening recently to um Abbey Road, uh the medley on the second side. Mm-hmm. Um I never knew that that, that the the end where they're the guitar solo is right before Ringo does his like one and only drum. So I play the drums. So uh, as a kid, I was always playing that drum. So it's only like 20 seconds long, but, uh, (laughs) but I didn't realize the guitar solo in that, that it's John Paul and George all taking turns, taking solos. So So to me, that was kind of fun because the, the piece is, it's called the end and they were all taking solos and it felt like they were all maybe, john paul and george trying to top each other on the guitar they all it just sounded like they were having fun recording it i don't know if they were but it sounded like that to me
1: you know i i heard a story that george martin was was there in the studio during that day and he said the three guys john paul and george just brought in their amps their guitars they stood around in a circle and they just started playing together just like he said it was just like the old days in hamburg before they became big and he said they were all smiling and it's, it really is great it's it's such a such a great ending for with the end you know
0: yeah yeah because now when i hear it i get that picture in my head of the three of them you know all playing like that and and it, it just feels like a good time Feels like like they knew you know they had come full circle or um yeah. the, you know that it was wrapping up i don't know but it was cool and. I always love too, that, that the stuff they did that people hadn't done at the time, like the, the singles, the 45 singles that they would put out singles that weren't on the albums. Like they felt if right. you, if you put the single on the album, that it was kind of a ripoff to the fans, that the fans should get two more songs in addition to it, which yeah. no band did that, you know, um, and you listen to oh. all those songs now and like, oh, those all could have been number one songs on their own. And they yeah. were, and you realize, oh, they were on the same, you know, two sides of a 45, which is uh, incredible. And then they would do those throwaways. Like the one that always made me laugh was, uh, you know, my name, look up the number. Oh, it's a uh, great song. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
1: It's so funny, John's voice, and when he does that little old English granny voice, yeah. it's amazing. <laughs> yeah, those albums are are great. You really can't pick a wrong choice for a favorite Beatles album. I mean, mine. I'm kind of like you, where my favorite album changes all all of the time. So, Mike, what have you been up to recently? What kind of projects have you been involved in?
0: Um I just recently uh, wrapped uh, my 28 years on The Simpsons uh, wow. and I've been doing, uh, my wife and I co-created an animated show uh, with Amy Poehler at, it's called Duncanville and we're uh, working on season three right now. Um, and it'll be on Fox and Hulu here in the States in May. And then, uh, Overseas, I I know it plays in the UK, uh, and I'm trying to remember the channel, Channel Four, maybe I don't know. Uh, so we're working on those right now, and, and we got a fun season coming up. We we got speaking of of great rockers who also also happen to be super funny. We have Dave Grohl guest starring in an episode. Nice, um, yeah, yeah, and he was Love he David was Grohl. hilarious. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> matter of fact, the, the last time I saw. Paul McCartney play might've been seven or eight years ago at the Hollywood bowl. And by pure coincidence, Dave Grohl happened to be sitting right behind me. No way! Uh, yeah. And he was there. I think he was there with his mom, I think. Wow. Uh, but, yeah, and he was just, you know, loving the show. I mean, what's, what's not to love, man. It's, it's Paul McCartney. <laughs> yeah.
1: You know, I think the, I, I saw a video of, of, Dave Grohl talking about the only time he's taken a picture of Paul McCartney because he always he always wants to treat him as an equal like as a friend yeah and he said the only time he's taken a picture of him as a fan is when he Paul came over to his house and was teaching his daughter how to play the piano and Dave Grohl like walks in the room and he sees this going on and Paul's just teaching her the the notes and everything mm-hmm. and he's like ah, this is so cool I have to take a picture of that <laughs> He's like Paul. I'm sorry, but I'm just going to be a fan for one second.
0: <laughs> Paul McCartney that's, teaching I mean, your daughter—that's incredible. Yeah, I think that uh, might be in his uh, in his like uh, storyteller's book. But uh, yeah, what I love about uh, McCartney and 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 Ringo now is they seem so like at peace with who they are. That and they know their place. They know people freak out when they see them, and they they just seem to handle it so well and uh that they're actually able to go to places and do things that they couldn't do in their 20s you know uh yeah. like i've seen mccartney like sitting at a lakers game uh you know oh wow he's just sitting down with the fans he's not up in the vip suite or he's down you know low with the fans that's <laughs> not awesome. courts not courtside but he was like 10 rows up and Just sitting there and, you know, they put him on the jumbotron. He jumps up, gives everybody a wave.
1: (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. Yeah, it's just really great to know that they're happy, you know. And they're living their lives in a way where they're serving their fans, even when they're in their 80s. Because, well, they know that their music has changed a lot of people's lives. Their music has changed the world. And I think that they've come to terms with that. And I think that they're at peace with that
0: yeah it's always fun when you see a big rock star playing like with paul somewhere you know like like you know grohl's a great example uh at the the rock and roll hall of fame they just did get back together um but also there's like a concert from hyde park with uh with bruce springsteen and it's it's fun to see rock stars getting starstruck and 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 getting to jam with you know, one of the, 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 guys that are the reason they do what they do.
1: You know? <laughs> oh yeah, exactly. It, it's so cool. Yeah. It's a, like family and music. It's it all goes back to the Beatles and then the Beatles have their influences too. Or they get starstruck when they meet people too.
0: Uh Oh yeah. You can tell when they're just having a, they're having fun out there. I was recently watching a, a clip of Paul playing uh, a day in the life, uh, which is a it doesn't play live very often, well, but Neil he was with Neil Young and Neil Young was playing oh, I, wow. I think Neil Young is playing in Hyde Park in London and he's playing a day in the life and halfway through the song, Paul walks on the stage wow. to sing like his uh, part of the song and I mean the crowd goes insane uh, when he walks out there. and it's really if people haven't seen it, it's an incredible version of a song you would think would be impossible to play live because there's, there's no orchestra on the stage, right? Neil Young and his band are kind of creating all the noise with feedback and, and stuff, but he and Paul are clearly having a great time together. Uh, And it seems like an unlikely combination, but it, and an unlikely song, but it really works.
1: That's so cool. Yeah. They're gene. They, I guess they can make anything work. They're geniuses, you know? Yeah. Mike, I have one final question for yeah. you and it's a big one.
0: Um, oh, it, uh, <laughs> it's not that big. <laughs> you need a ride to the airport. Yeah. Oh, gosh. <laughs> please, drive
1: me to LAX, please. <laughs>
0: yeah. I'm sorry. What's the question?
1: <laughs> Where do you see the Beatles' music and influence in the next 10, 50, 100 years in the future? So the year... I don't know. What's a hundred years from now? Two thousand one hundred and
0: twenty-two.
1: <laughs> uh, if we're still around,
0: yes, <laughs> <laughs> that that may be the bigger question.
1: Yeah, <laughs> um,
0: you know i i don't you know, I don't see it ever fading away because of the generational thing, where it continues to get passed down, and I think even if kids. And actually I can use my own kids as an example. My kids are in their, they're all in their thirties now. When I first like played the, would play the Beatles for them. um, They would kind of naturally resist it. I mean, I, I, I would say like when they were like about 11, 12 years old, they they were starting to get into their, you know, you know, teen years, they were heading that way. So automatically not liking anything we like. And so they would pretend to be allergic to the Beatles. Uh, And if, if like, if I had the music on in the car and the Beatles came up like in the shuffle, they would all like pretend sneezing and and they would do it just to bug me. And now like they all love those songs. Uh, And they're kind of blown away with the Beatles story. They now know, kind of who the Beatles like were as people. They've seen, you know, them on, you know, talk shows and they've they they've just their their musical education grew as they got older. And I think they will play the Beatles for their kids, like for my grandkids. And and I think people just discover their song the way my mom, like I said, she got it right away. You know, my dad just automatically hated it. And my mom had favorite Beatles songs. Like to the I mean, yeah, uh, you know, she passed away many years ago, but like the song Eleanor Rigby, like that would come on if I was playing it and she would have me turn it up. Uh, oh, if wow. she was, she'd say, turn it up. And she'd listen to it. And at the end, she goes, it's the saddest song ever. And she goes, but it's so beautiful, but it's so sad. <laughs> and, yeah. and like, kind of haunted her uh, in a, in a great way. Like it stuck with her. And, you know, she loved this, you know, the song Something. And then then when Frank Sinatra covered the song Something, Frank Sinatra was her favorite singer. So, and like she knew where it came from because she had heard it on my album. (laughs) Right. You know, and and Sinatra would introduce it to his audiences saying, this is the most beautiful song ever written, Uh, the song Something. And, you know, so... I think it just gets, their music just gets passed around generations to, you know, I've met p- people once in a while who are like, I don't know, I just never got into the Beatles. And I, I, I kind of never buy it. I, I just like, sometimes I think they're just being contrarians.
1: Yeah, totally. You
0: know what I mean? They, they're just going to take the unpopular position, mm-hmm. you know, for the sake of arguing it. Uh, I think the, the music will continue on. Um you know, and be used, you know, I think it will continue on like in, in movies and TV and whatever, or whatever form music takes NFTs. I don't know like what that's going to be right. in <laughs> the future, but I do. Uh, I don't picture it ever like going away. Like, you know, obviously people won't know every song from every album, but I think they'll they'll always be, you know, 20 Beatles songs that everyone knows. Yeah, you know that, that's that's my opinion anyway
1: <laughs> so, oh i can com- i completely agree with you I, I think you know i don't see the beatles music going anywhere in the future i think
0: uh I mean, look at you're you're 40 years younger than me yeah you
1: yeah know? that's true so, <laughs> so
0: and, and here we you know we're both sitting here talking about how much we love the beatles so
1: <laughs> yeah that's a good point i mean i don't see the beatles music going anywhere um I think that you know maybe they won't be listened to as much on the radio uh, but they're definitely going to be talked about in classrooms just like Mozart and Bach and Beethoven I feel fi- I think
0: Yeah I think what's what's fun sometimes, like for my daughters to see like I'll show them clips like from the con- like the the few years when they toured and the concerts or like the Ed Sullivan show and the girls the screaming and crying and fainting like that to them seems insane and and they're right it was it's totally <laughs> like i can't imagine reacting like that to anything <laughs> right i know you turn on uh, you turn on
1: the news and and it's like the world's about to end and you just kind of turn off the tv you're like eh, yeah whatever
0: yeah because they've seen so much they assume all right, well, girls were told to act crazy like that, right? Like, no, it just happened. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's
1: a phenomenon, it really is. Yeah. It's
0: like you have to understand it was 1964. We hadn't hadn't been excited yet. <laughs> so, <Yeah. laughs> uh, I think also too, you know, sometimes what gets forgotten is they came along. I mean, when they came to the states, they you know, it was like a year after JFK had been assassinated, you know, and, um, you know, the country, you know, and you know, we were, you know, heading, you know, we were into like, you know, Vietnam was, you know, uh, starting up, but the, you know, the country was just in kind of like depressed, like the JFK assassination kind of crippled the whole country, like nobody came out of their houses for days. I mean, we just stayed inside. Like families just sat in front of the t v watching the coverage of you know the the funeral and and the procession down Pennsylvania Avenue and all that stuff and I think they came along at a time and and gave the country like this giant emotional kind of kick in the ass that uh yeah. that we needed and kind of like you know freed us all to have fun again,
1: <laughs> yeah. People did have fun in the sixties. That's for sure. Yeah. yeah. After, after everything that followed, the Beatles too. They're they're just you know a wonder of humankind, in my opinion. I think there's once in a not only just once in a lifetime, but I feel like they're once in a an existence. You know, something like the Beatles. I don't know. Can't put my finger on what it was about them. Really, it, I guess it was kind of everything. But I do feel like you know, like you said, it it was. it, it takes a certain amount of something to give a, an entire country that emotional kick you know
0: yeah if people like haven't seen the documentary or, or like going back and just watching the old clips on youtube and that's that's something you can really go down you know <laughs> the, the rabbit hole on uh, just oh yeah yeah you know, i've seen like specials like live footage that i didn't even know existed like you know uh of, of shows that were done in the uk that had never played here before that are now like up on YouTube where you can see them. And, uh, uh, you know, they're just so much fun to watch. And yeah, I mean, I've loved a million bands, uh, but you know, there's just something about them. I mean, even love so many bands that came right after them, like the stones and the who, and they're all, you know, they're great, great, great bands, you know, and I'm a, a giant, you know, Springsteen fan. Uh, but there's just something completely different about, the Beatles for those four guys and the way it all came together and what they created uh and you know left behind uh is I, I don't i don't picture anybody ever coming close to what they did
1: i completely agree i couldn't have said it better mike thanks so much for coming on i i, I really appreciate your time
0: oh it, it was a pleasure thanks for having me this is fun i love talking music and lo- and especially the beatles <laughs> oh by the way my live Thank you for
1: listening to the Here, There, and Everywhere podcast. Thank you, Mike, for coming on the show. Everybody, please go check out his new show, Duncanville. If you like the podcast, be sure to rate it and subscribe so you don't miss next week's episode. We have a new guest on every week, and the podcast comes out every Wednesday morning. Be sure to subscribe and listen on your way to work, at work, on your way home, laying in bed, playing the guitar, in the shower, wherever you listen to your podcasts. And I'll see you next week.